0: In the meantime, today's study continues the topic of unity as we make our journey through the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Let's dig in. Ephesians chapter 5 is perhaps out of the entirety of the Bible, one of the most, if not the most, mispreached, mistaught, and taken out of its context sections in the entirety of Scripture. Many terrible sermons have been preached on this passage, and many absolutely atrocious relationships have come out of the teachings of this passage. We have to be extremely careful with how we handle the Bible, especially we have to be very careful about how we handle the Bible in sections where there is a need for us to understand the context in which it was written. One of the most dangerous things that we can do whenever we are interpreting the Bible is to assume that it was written directly to us and that the author was thinking of us and our cultural, our social, our marital situations. And so We shouldn't do that any place in the Bible, but we certainly shouldn't do it in a place such as Ephesians chapter 5. What we're going to find when we jump into Ephesians chapter 5 is a series of house codes that Paul is encouraging those people in the first century to live under because of the cultural and social situation in which they find themselves. And so the first thing that we have to do is to understand what it would have meant to the first readers and how Paul intended the first readers to apply it. And then, if possible, we might be able to gain some understanding for us in our own cultural, social, and relationship situations. And so that will be our goal as we come to Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 21. First, we need to make sure that it is tied to the previous discussions, because Paul says here and further. I'm not going to go back and rehash all of those. You can go back and watch the previous Bible studies in order to tie those together yourself. Paul begins to end further, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul isn't just talking about relationships here. He's not just talking about spousal situations. Paul is talking about all of us submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. That is, perhaps for today, a very difficult thing to do. It's difficult enough in a marriage or in a relationship to submit yourself to the needs and to the desires of another person. But imagine doing that to your neighbor, a friend, an acquaintance, someone else in your church. Paul leaves this open-ended. Out of reverence for Christ, as much as is possible, you need to submit yourselves to each other out of reverence. Make yourself, in a sense, a servant, a server. And now we get into the deep end. For wives, verse 22, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Now, the first thing that we have to understand here is the cultural situation that is going on here in this context. So why don't we kind of understand that? What what has happened here in the first century is the Jews have now become Christians, and what they find in Christianity is freedom. Jesus famously, though this isn't always taught in every denomination, Jesus famously gave great preference to women, a preference which was not shown in their culture. He gave great value to women. He elevated the status of women. He elevated the status of wives, to a place that not only was unheard of in that culture, but for many people was absolutely unthinkable. 2,000 years later, it's much the same way. The Bible says in the New Testament that there is no male or female in God's eyes. In a society and in a Judaism that was very patriarchal, to think that there was no higher or lower value between men and women was absolutely revolutionary. Jesus and the New Testament broke down walls. It also gave freedom to women, freedom to learn in the same ways and at the same times as men. They were not relegated to some other room. They were not relegated to the kitchen. They were allowed to sit in the same worship services. They were allowed to sit in the same educational opportunities and lectures as women as men were. Jesus famously did that when Mary came in and sat with the men rather than being in the kitchen with Martha and Martha comes in trying to help Mary remember saying god i'm slaving away in here he's giving Jesus an out to get Mary out of the room away from the men and Jesus says she's doing a great thing sitting here i'm going to i'm going to let her say women were essentially property in the first century men bought women from their fathers and so they owned them and treated them as though they would A cow or a house or a horse or a chariot or a cart and in some ways women were even treated worse than those things that's why whenever in 1st Corinthians Paul writes to the church of Corinth that it's actually okay if a woman leaves a believer an unbeliever it was radical It was absolutely radical because women were expected to take on the gods that their husband had. And so if the husband worshiped Roman gods or or Greek gods, but the woman didn't, well, she was stuck, except in Christianity, not so much. Paul says, you have rights and you have no reason to stay with an unbelieving person. In fact, you shouldn't have even maybe married an unbelieving person if they didn't match up with you. That was radical. That was absolutely revolutionary. So here, whenever Paul is saying, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of his wife, as the Christ is the head of the church, he's the savior of the body of the church. So what Paul is actually doing here is he's saying, you have a great deal of freedom, but with this freedom, maybe there's a bit of responsibility. Maybe maybe you Are taking your freedom just a bit too far. But even that, even that doesn't necessarily fit in quite with what Paul is saying here in this verse. This isn't, this isn't a slap on the hand for women. First of all, the word submit isn't even in that verse. If the text of your English translation puts the word submit in there, it's actually taking that word from other places in the surrounding verses, and it's inserting it right there. For wives, this means to your husband, as for the Lord. So why does it put it there? Well, remember back in the previous verse, let me run back there and further, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul has just said, everyone needs to kind of submit to and serve everyone, and uh, for wives, yeah, that means to your husband too. I know you have a great deal of freedom. Uh, you've been given freedom that nowhere else in culture, no other religion has ever given women. And so if everybody is going to submit to everybody, yeah, wives, that that means you kind of need to at moments serve your husband too. That means in moments you you're going to need to think of him. For a husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. Now, Uh, That word, head. In English, that word means boss. It means manager. It means overseer. It's not the word that Paul uses here. Now, the word that Paul uses here is a little difficult to determine exactly what he means. But we know on the basis of Paul's other writings, we know on the basis of how Jesus taught that what he is saying here is not that men have more value here there than women and we also know even from this context he's not saying that that men are the managers of women here so there are really kind of there're really kind of two possibilities that fit in with the entire scripture and a lot of theologians argue over this and which one is right and i just got to tell you It's just not clear. This is one of those things where we simply have to make a determination as to what we think, but we have to hold loosely to that determination. It does not mean boss. It does not mean manager. It does not mean lord over. Of that, we are quite certain. It could mean one of these two things, though. It could mean source. uh, In the sense of a woman is a source of a birthed child. We might say that a man is a source of a conceived child. Obviously, both men and women, the, the sperm and the egg come together. And so that's kind of the picture here of head, in that a husband is a source of his, his wife, and that women, as Eve came from Adam. And so there is a a line of descent here. That is one translation. I think it works. Um, I think, though, that a better one is the second one, at least for me. You're welcome to choose either one. For me, the second possible definition for head that fits here is responsible for For a husband is responsible for his wife as Christ is the head of the church. That seems to fit well in what we understand in the first century, because what we see here is that men essentially felt no responsibility for women once they had purchased them. They were simply something that they owned, but not something that they cared for, not something that they tended to to, not something that they would have invested in, not something that they would have seen as being uh, a mutual partner of equal value. That, I think, is the best rendering and understanding of the Greek and the entirety of the sweep of Scripture as to that word. It doesn't mean boss over. It doesn't mean final decision-maker for. It means none of those things. A husband is responsible for his wife, just as Christ is responsible for the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, and remember what submission means. It means Service. <laughs> it means to serve. As the church serves Christ, so wives should serve husbands in everything. And husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Now, a lot has been made over the years by preachers who say, well, women, you have this responsibility to submit, and men, you have this responsibility. To love, a lot has been made of that. And if we keep reading, and we will, we're gonna see that that actually those words flip anyway, and we see that those are also added to the list of of the opposite of the ones that they are right here. So what we're gonna see in this verse and in the ones that roll out is that Paul is essentially saying there has to be mutual love, there has to be mutual respect, and there has to be mutual submission. Paul is lining out here a relationship of equals, of equal value, of equal love, of equal respect, and of equal submission to each other, which is something that if we go back to the original context in which we're living in the first century, whenever this is written, was not something that was mutual at all. Love was Love was not expected at all. Men didn't have to love their wives. They were property. They were there to serve. Men didn't have to respect their wives, and wives certainly didn't have to respect men because they were just property. What reason would there be for, for a woman to respect a man because, well, he treated her like a piece of property, so why would she respect him? She didn't need to, and he didn't expect it anyway. And then we've already talked about submission. So what Paul is doing here is Paul is encouraging men in the first century to treat their wives as equal human beings, and he's also encouraging women in a relationship with a man to understand that they have great value, but also they don't have greater value than men. Leveling the playing field. Mutual love, respect, and submission. And now Paul is going to kind of chip away at this idea by talking about Christ and how Christ interacts and loves and serves and respects and submits the church and vice versa. So Christ, he gave up his life for her, the church, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot, without a wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. A lot of men in the first century just simply didn't love their wives. Paul says, love's an important thing. Christ loves the church. If you're going to be in relationship, there needs to be a foundation of love. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself, Paul says. Verse 29, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Paul is saying here, men, you need to unite into one. She's not a piece of property. The person whom you married. It's not a piece of property. There needs to be a mutual, equally valued relationship based on love and respect that will lead to mutual submission. Verse 32, Paul's going to begin to wrap this up and make a transition. This is a great mystery. It means it's tough to understand, and a lot of people haven't gotten it. But it's important for Christians in the church to get it and understand it. It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I say again, each man needs to love his wife as much as he loves himself. And the wife needs to respect her husband. Mutual submission. Mutual respect. Mutual love. Equal partnership. That's the meaning here of Ephesians chapter 5. Anything that goes beyond that into headship or submission that means bossing or lordship or ownership of Christ. This Bible study from the book of Ephesians is brought to you by Christ's Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy to follow guide in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation. Our mission, it's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. When you get over to Christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box I'm going to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our step-by-step study through the book of Ephesians. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well over at www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is the Christ Table Podcast.